You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome, everyone, back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm joined by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, we are covering two, two uh, successful um, athletic programs. Um, and yes, I'm speaking in advance about the basketball program because they haven't actually played yet this season. But I'm just guessing. How does it feel? Because this is uncharted waters. Safe to assume on that basketball program. Yeah. Um, like I've been saying, this is where we should be. This is where you should be. So, yeah, it's great to be here, but it's great to be back here. Literally uncharted, though, I think. I'm trying oh, to go back yeah. through it. So when was the last time UCLA basketball and football were both certifiably, you know, good? All um, through my formative years, that's all I can okay. say. Okay. All right. Again, I, I... Uh, was a month and a half old the last time UCLA won a Rose Bowl. Gosh, Dave, I, I can't even tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I guess my point is here, in my formative years, let's go the last 20, when was the last time UCLA basketball and football were actually good you're, at the same time? You're going to tell me. I have no idea. I'm oh, going through it. I thought it you had mind. it in front of you. No. <laughs> you on. never ask a question unless you know the answer. No, I want you to answer for me because I don't think it's been in those 20 years. Because if you go through Howland's final four years, that coincided with the end of Durrell uh, and the first of Neuheisel. If you go through the Mora years, the three good ones, that coincides with the end of Howland and the first of Alford. Which, I guess they were kind of good. But God, like, long-suffering. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my lord! Yeah, and this everything and everything before that was trash. So, um, I guess my point is, you probably got to go back to like sometime in the '90s or the '80s to find something that was similar. My formative years. Yeah, I, it was just like going to the Rose Bowl was second nature. You just right. expected it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, UCLA football is in a bye week. Uh, they are six and zero. They've uh, finally so. If you just go by our preseason projections, they've finally broken serve by beating Utah. If you go by the eye test, um, the way they've performed in each of the last two games is above and beyond probably what we would have expected from like um, a qualitative performance standpoint. Um, but I think they're legitimately very good. I, 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 no, I think they're good. I absolutely. If there's a matter, I mean, all these games now are going to be tests. They let's just list the tests, and, and they've been through the first two tests, Washington and Utah, and that will all prove to see how big of a test because we're seeing that Washington might be just okay to oh, good maybe. Utah's good, not as good as they have been. Oregon's going to be a real challenge. 
because at Oregon is is just always a challenge. And then everyone just keeps looking past everything else to get to the USC game. And I understand that. But if we're talking about tests and passing tests. At ASU, baby. When's the last time UCLA went through a conference season and didn't trip up on a game it should have won? I mean, that's a long time, too. Uh, So that's a big test. Stanford, Arizona, Arizona State, before you ever get to USC. Can I give some hardcore jinxing energy? Um, Reverse mojo or jinxing? Or jinxing. There's oh, wow. no way. Okay, so no I got to do the reverse mojo just to yeah, balance you out because it worked last week. There's no way in hell they lose to Stanford or Arizona at home. The one I'm concerned about is at ASU, just because they showed like a little bit of a pulse last week. Yeah. Um, but Stanford, um, in any normal year, Stanford would be the clear worst team in the Pac-12. Um, it's just Colorado is doing things previously unheard of. Um, but Stanford is. They're the they're the usual worst team in the league. They 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 shouldn't beat anybody. Um, and Arizona, if you've watched them, um, their run defense doesn't exist at any. Maybe at a molecular level, it does. I don't know, but not. Well, on it like does a, on a molecular. Not in the visible spectrum, like not okay. in the visible uh, spectrum of light that we can see as human beings. Another uh, dimension. Yeah, Zach Charbonnet should run for I think somewhere between four hundred and five hundred yards in that game. Oh, okay. So my point is that they they can't lose to those two. The question is whether they can trip up at ASU. And you know me, I'm always historically analogizing things. So right now they're six and zero and ranked nearly in the top ten. Which okay, they've got to avoid you know losing uh, four of their last six, so it doesn't feel like two thousand one. The ASU one would be you go 8-0 into that, and then suddenly you're looking at 2005, the road trip to Arizona, you know, where Willie Tuitama suddenly, um, you know, turns a 3-8 and Arizona team into gangbusters against UCLA. So we have to yeah. avoid both of those outcomes, Tracy. Um, I have a big and uh, an even bigger, and I'm, I'm reverse mojoing this. Um, Please do. They go 11-0. And then they play Cal. <laughs> no, no, but that would be like, so I think at 11. Given everything that's going on off the field with Cal and the UC Regents, oh my Lord. If All right, so here's the thing. If they go 11-0 and and lose to Cal, that'll be, so first from like a field perspective, that is exactly the same thing as Dorian Thompson Robinson throwing that pick at the end of the Utah game. They're just doing it to humble themselves before oh, yeah. before they yeah. go to the playoff. Because a little bit more significant, though. No, eleven and one because you're still in the Pac-12 championship game. You've humbled yourself, and then you you beat Oregon or USC or whoever again. Could keep you out of the college football playoffs, though. It could. Um, I, I will say this: no one lost team in Pac-12 history has been kept out of the playoff. Um, it would require a. It would require an unexpectedly. Uh, you mean a special asterisk that you lost to Cal? <laughs> yeah, no. It would just. It would be the the. It would just be like circumstances outside of your control that, uh, I don't know. Three of the other leagues had unbeaten champions, um, which has happened. It just doesn't happen often. Um, 
So I, I still think a one-loss Pac-12 team, even a UCLA team that lost to Cal in the last game, would still have a pretty good shot of making the playoff if they then uh, won the, the uh, Pac-12 championship. And um, it would be like yeah. that Dorian Thompson-Robinson pick six. It's the, it's, the, it's the little ounce of humble you need before making a big run. I get it. Uh, I understand. It's like in Bull Durham, like hitting the mascot. Exactly. <laughs> you need you you need to do it. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Uh. I think we would both agree that um this next week against Oregon is the toughest remaining game. Um, being that it comes at Autzen. Um, Oregon has I think shaken off the. Uh, the pasting they received at the hands of Georgia pretty well. And aside from that Washington State game, which was very, very weird, uh, because Oregon statistically dominated that game, but they were still somehow down by 12 going into the last stretch. Um, Aside from that one, they've pretty much um, put it to everybody they've played since then. Um, So that one's going to be tough. And they're very similar. Uh, They've got a really good offense, and their defense is you know, alive. They're they're they've got some ability, um, but they're not lights out by any means. Um yeah, I mean we're gonna have to leave some of that matchup for next week's broadcast. But it's it's pretty obvious. I mean Oregon's pass defense is horrendous. Right? Their run defense is pretty good and they run the ball really well on offense. It, it's pretty easy to see how that game will you know, shake out in the match. Wow, so Tracy's calling a UCLA blowout. Ah, am I, though? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Am I? Uh-huh. I? I'm saying that it's going to be difficult for UCLA probably to run the ball initially. What happens with Chip Kelly's teams when they go up against good running defenses? Struggle through the first half, and then, and it's up until the Utah game, it had been 60 40 passing to running. Uh, so loosening up, loosening up the running game by passing. And then just tiring out the defense by the third quarter. I, I could see Chip Kelly going to the air again because, I mean, Oregon's pass defense is really not good. That's the worst matchup among UCLA and, or- UCLA and Oregon. Uh, even worse than UCLA's pass defense. So that will be very, very interesting. And Oregon can run the ball and it will the best running uh attack in the Pac-12. So it's going to attack UCLA's uh, running defense, which hasn't been challenged yet, really. I mean, well, it's doing would... pretty well, but I just don't come away from every, any game going, wow, they really ran right at them and they stuffed them. Yeah, I would say um, Utah actually put to put the lie to UCLA's run defense to an extent. Because that was the first time you were going against a pretty good offensive line and a top-flight running back and Tavion Thomas. And he, you know, they tackled well. That's the thing I would say is I think, okay, uh, side note. Can we just talk about Mo Osling for a second? Yeah, I, I because Mo is one of my guys. Yeah, so let's yeah. talk about Mo, it. Um, I, I don't I, I don't think everyone is understanding how key his tackling has been. But not to sound like uh, Chip Kelly talking fundamentals, but... Just the way that dude is tackled, it's I, I think it's reduced any kind of explosive plays for running backs in a lot of ways, which has held the average down. Because you create enough TFLs, and you tackle and prevent 8-yard runs from becoming 25-yard runs, 
their averages aren't going to be very good. Because um, I walked away from that Utah game saying, well, they were pretty successful running the ball. I mean, Tavion Thomas, I mean, it seemed like he was getting five to eight yards a carry, but it was only five to eight yards a carry. It wasn't uh, blowing away for 35 yards. That never happened. Um, and I think that's probably the strength of UCLA, which is a weird thing because first couple of games we were sitting there saying, oh, man, this this secondary really sucks at tackling because the corners were getting attacked so much and John Humphrey was a real eyesore for a while there. Um, but I think tackling... Um, at least the last couple of games, has actually been a strength. Um, and I think a big part of it is Osling. I think he's, as the season's gone on, he's played with even more confidence in that position. Um, and his, you know, his, his coverage has been pretty good. He's been right on guys. And then tackling-wise, he's just been um, the surest tackler on the team. And I think having that guy at safety um, keeps a lot of these, a lot of these potentially explosive plays from just being, you know, Oh, that was that was a tough run. They got eight yards, and and it doesn't become a a huge explosive. And, and let's just talk about Mo's um, his journey. Uh, he's he is in his sixth year at UCLA, so six years. He came in with under Jim Mora. He's been I can't even count how many times we if we really listed how many times we've seen him like let's say at practice at safety or cornerback. I mean, he's hopped back and forth. When I first saw him emerging, when he was just initially in the program, I thought, well, that's that's potentially a big-time safety. Always in all their off-season testing, one of the best athletes on the team consistently for the last six years. They dabbled with him at cornerback, and I get it because they thought, they had the safety positions locked down, say, last season. So he was kind of a swing man when it came to the cornerback position. But he and he served himself decently there, but he was always more of a safety playing cornerback. And now, finally, in a sixth year, he's able to play the position that he's best suited to. And really coming into his own uh, and and. Just, just that element right there, being able to be a sure tackler. At he's essentially playing uh, the free safety spot that um, our boy Lake did last year. So you need someone as the last line of defense who's going to make a sure tackle, and he and he really has. So God, you got to give that guy, you got to give him a lot of credit for for hanging in. So many transitions, so many times he was probably discouraged. Could have easily transferred and and hung in. So, major props out. All right, so maybe, maybe let's do this. Um, because, so the defense was our big question mark coming into the season, right? I mean, we were both, both probably like, oh, you know, uh, this is the key, obviously, is the improvement for this defense, uh, the key to this season. Um, and we don't know really what Bill McGovern's going to bring. Um, we're not sure about the defensive line. We're not sure about the revamped pass rush. We're not sure about uh, the secondary um, depth-wise, um, experience at corner, all that stuff. So now halfway through, um, what's what's your sense of the defensive showing so far? I, I still don't necessarily – I still haven't bought in that this defense is good. Um, and I really don't have a solid grasp as to what Bill McGovern is doing. But 
the bottom line, the takeaway, the conclusion is whatever he's doing is how he's uh, how he's doing it. I'm not sure, but he seems to be masking the weaknesses of the defense well because I think the secondary hasn't played necessarily very well. Not not horribly. They've I think they've improved since the first couple of games. I don't think they're they're greatly coached to begin with. Um, I. I don't think the linebackers have played well. You're, I think you're a little bit more of a fan of Darius Musial, and I was in practice, but I don't think he's played exceptionally well. No, I, well, I, think, I think he I think, gets think, out of position. He loses himself. There are times he can't shed a block. He chooses the wrong gap quite often. So I've I've dialed back my expectations for him. Um, so my uh, my sense of the situation is he's better than what UCLA had. Um, I don't think he's the guy that he looked like in practice, which was somebody who's going to, you know, read everything correctly, make every tackle, be in on every play. Um, But he is more solid than, um, I would say, even what they had last year at that position, Um, but certainly the last, like, three or four years. Um, But it's not – he's not the the, – I say it's about the same. I mean, Caleb Johnson had some games. I, I don't know. I, I just it hasn't been that uh, distinctive. That it, well, I'm agreeing with what you're saying. Defensive line. Um, when I isolate and watch on them and, and watch them, uh, I, I mean the interior DL is okay. They're getting pushed around a, a bit, except for Gary Smith most of the time. Um, so the difference to me is the pass rush are the edge guys. Yeah. They've made the difference. Um, it isn't reflecting necessarily on number of sacks, but you do see pressures in a lot of hurries, which has which we always know makes the big difference. So that has helped to mask maybe the vulnerability in the pass defense. But I don't necessarily think it's, it's a scheme thing. Maybe uh, McGovern is allowing those pass rushers the way he's scheming it out um, to have the opportunity to provide more pressure. I think it was that off-season acknowledgement that we need to improve our pass rush. I mean, Chip Kelly said it. Um, and he went out and got three guys that, that have done it uh, to add to Carl Jones, the uh, Murphy twins, along with Le'i Um so I think that's the difference to me and in, in the strength of the defense. But in the second half of Utah, it seemed like they Utah's offense made some adjustments and were able to probably contain that pass rush a little more. So I'm, I'm still worried about teams that provide good pass protection because then I think the defense might all fall apart. So here's the thing I would say is – Two straight weeks, Washington and Utah um, had provided excellent pass protection going into the week, and UCLA outperformed um, the, the teams that had come before. Now, obviously, when they're going against good pass protection versus when they're going against Colorado, it's going to be a different deal. Um, they're not going to get the number of sacks, but I think, so what did they have against Utah? Was it two sacks? I think yeah. it was two sacks. Yep. That might have, I think it doubled the season total for teams against Utah. Um, just those two sacks. The, so, th- 
I, and I, I agree with you. I, I'm, I'm interested to see how they look against Oregon because that's yet another team that coming into the game, they're going to have given up, I think it's one sack. Um, so that's that one's going to be interesting. Um, but I think the next time they go up against a team that has really bad pass production, because that's what I'm looking forward to. Oh, I think USC is going to be real fun. Really? No, fun. even before that. I, I mean, know. I need, uh, I need so, some fun before that. Um, the thing is, so Stanford's horrible. Um, okay. And Stanford's pass production has been horrible, and their slow mesh offense lends itself to Tanner McKee. What McKean. is that? What is that? It's horrible. What uh, is it? Are, they're doing it intentionally. It's not. It's by design. It's not a bad offense. It works uh, for uh, whoever it is, the NC State. Um, it's just for Stanford. It doesn't. It doesn't make sense either um, for what they do. Yeah, Tanner McKee's already been sacked sixteen times this year. Damn that slow mesh! I think I, I check my sometimes. I just think randomly my my TV has gone on yeah, pause. It's, it's bad. Yeah. In five games, he's been sacked sixteen times. He was sacked eight times against Washington. Yeah, that's really something to look forward to. Yeah. So Stanford, uh, they could get um, they Tanner McKee might might get hurt in that game. And he's not exactly mobile. No, a big dude, big Statue. target, Statue. Um, big target for Leatu Latu. Um. But here's the thing. Um, I think there is an element. So I agree with pretty much your entire analysis. I would say um, the defensive tackle play, I think it's just – so I think Magna has been – he's improved since the first couple of games. He's looked a lot better, and I think he's actually like – I still am like looking at him like you shouldn't, you shouldn't be playing decently, but you are. Solid backup defensive tackle. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think there's there's some quality there, um, and I think Gary Smith getting back is huge. I would say there's an element where um, UCLA's offense, and this is sort of what happened with Oregon uh, under Chip Kelly, UCLA's offense has a really positive effect on the defense um, in a way that um, idiots idiots who covered Oregon at the time didn't understand it because they're like, oh, the defense is giving up points. It's because they're tired because the offense is scoring so much. And it's like those Oregon teams were often elite in points per possession. It's just there were so many damn possessions. Um, but like on a per possession basis, they were very good. I think UCLA is getting helped because teams are being forced to be more one dimensional, especially in second halves. Um, and it's making it, um, you know, teams are constantly forced to respond to UCLA's offense. Um, which I think limits actually what they're going to do um, offensively, which has helped statistically for UCLA's defense. Um, and I think the fact that they have a pass rush and teams are going to be forced to pass, especially in the second halves when they're blowing teams out or when they're just scoring at will, um, is going to make the numbers look better than maybe qualitatively, if you took this defense in isolation, what it would look like. It's a really interesting thing to talk about because you can't really quantify how an offense or it affects the defense or or vice versa and it, and it really does they're just not really i mean they are two separate units but they really aren't um there's ucla's offense i think if you're talking about factors for that have made ucla's defense uh improve it's ucla's offense and i don't know how to quantify it yeah um it, there's just a different feeling. UCLA's offense is is really good, like really good. And what's really interesting about this is I think they're less talented than they were last year. 
yeah, but, but they're Dorian the Thompson two Robinson. guys. <laughs> and that's another reminder for us, quarterback and running back, the talent at that position. Like we've always said, you know, under Chip Kelly, you get in, you get a decent running back with his with his running scheme, it'll be good. Yeah, that's that's true. But I mean, when you get an NFL caliber running back, and then a quarterback who's seriously playing at a Heisman consideration level. I think you said it last week. Lifts all boats. This mm-hmm. it's just it's completely changing the offense, making everyone so much better. Um which then trickles down a bit to the defense. So there's a lot to there's so many things that we learn uh doing this job and then we forget and then we relearn and one of the big takeaways from this season is elite talent at quarterback and running back. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting because I just did that whole thing. You know, it's bye week. We've got a lot of time on our hands, right? Well, we actually don't. We've had a lot of content. but um, Yeah, it's actually been great. Yeah. I did that thing about transfer priorities. And learning what I've learned this year, even with... Uh, Garber's returning next year, who I think will be a serviceable uh, as a redshirt junior next year, I think. Um, I still completely believe they need to go out and try to find themselves an experienced, savvy, talented quarterback. Because we've seen what that... The difference between this offense last this year and last year, a lot of it, it's Zach Charbonnet, but a lot of it is Dorian Thompson-Robinson. He's well, on a whole different level. Yeah, I mean, he's setting up his offensive line so much better. Um, it's just the whole thing. Um, he's throwing accurately, which I think is, you know, everyone's like, oh, wow, is this receiving core actually better without Kyle Phillips and Greg Dulcich? And, like, I don't know, you could get into a nuanced argument about what it means to be better, but I don't think they're necessarily more talented I think it's just you've got a quarterback who's throwing the ball to him on time all the time and accurately. So they're more effective. But so not they're better. way more effective, and so yeah. it looks a lot better. And they're getting they're getting quote open more. Um, but I think a lot of it is timing. Um, he's throwing it when they're open. Like it's it it stands out now when he's a little bit off on the timing. Like there was that one play to Cam Brown in the last game where Cam Brown was clearly open for a little while before he threw the ball. And he wasn't able to make a play after it. And it was like, oh, wow, Dorian actually, you know, took an extra beat there. But otherwise, he's been, I mean, pretty lights out. Like, throwing But what these were your stats com- coming out of that game? Uh, his completions and then the ones that were incomplete. He had five incompletions. Five incompletions. Two of them were, were, were balls that hit the hands of Jake Bobo. One was a ball that hit the hands of uh, Mike Aziki. Uh, one was a pure throwaway. And one was a ball that you know, hit the hands of Clark Phillips for a pick six. Um, yeah. So, wow. Wow. I mean, realistically, he should have had two incompletions. Yeah. Uh, well, I would say the, the, the Jake Bobo one in the end zone. Uh, Catchable. Well, the one he dropped, and then there was the one where he was getting fully PI'd, and it hit him in the fingertips. Yeah. Um, that was one where it was actually a good throw. It was the only place where Bobo could have caught it, but Bobo also should have drawn a, a flag for that one. Um, I, I mean, uh, Thompson Robinson was good last year. He was, but he he wasn't that good. 
He no, wasn't as good as that. It's freak show stuff now. So you make everyone else better. That's why I don't think the receiving group is as talented, but they're more effective yep. because of what he's doing. Yep. So, yeah, when we're talking about those transfer priorities. Quarterback. Quarterback and running back. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say, based on performance this year, I am probably not as high on, based on performance and also kind of what I saw in spring, I'm not as high on Ethan Garbers, I think, as you are. Um, I'm a little leery of running him out there as a starter next year. What I see from him is, I think I wrote this, in his, the bread and butter pass plays, uh, the, not even the pass plays, the, the, the passes he needs to make in Chip Kelly's offense, he's very, very, very accurate. If you see he effortlessly makes those throws, I think it's just a matter of him, like with Dorian Thompson-Robinson, just getting more and more comfortable executing the position. I but just, I'm, I I'm impressed by those throws. Those throws were better than Dorian's were when he was probably at the same stage. I hate seeing quarterbacks who habitually get tipped at the line of scrimmage. And Garber's his arm angle. He has been that. You're right. And it, it, that's that makes me very concerned because that's a lot of interceptions. It turns into a lot of interceptions in the fullness of time. Um, and that's... That's a big concern for me um, because that's like who was uh, who was that U.S. Oh, John David Booty. He was the one who was constantly John doing David that too. Booty. Famously, uh, Eric McNeil got one of those. Um, but uh, I just I really don't like seeing that because it turns a lot of makeable short stuff into pick sixes and interceptions into you know batted down balls. Uh, but Dave, anyway, let's just I, stop for a moment. And really um, appreciate because you kind of stop and smell the flowers. Again, we're you know twenty minutes something into this, and we get to talk about the number eleven team in the country. It's so cool. All of this is just fun. Yeah, y'all out there should be just having a blast right now. You should be. You should be. You should be blasting. You should be yeah. having a blast. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, I think. Uh, I think they're the, the offense defense very interrelated. Um, and if you look at the profile of the defense, it's very clear what it is. It's a bend, but don't break. Um, but it actually is kind of doing that. You know, we've often said bend, but don't break. And the reality is it's bend and break. They're actually pretty good. So, um, I look up some, uh, good points per drive stats. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, if you go to bcftoys.com, everyone out there, you can look this stuff up Love yourself. Love that site. But Love it. UCLA um, on long drives is um, 92nd in the country, uh, 2.17 points per drive. But the closer you get to the end zone, uh, the firmer it gets. So they're top 30 in the country on short drives, meaning if you kind of uh, compress the length of the field, they're actually getting stouter closer to the end zone. Um, so they're pretty much, my point is they're pretty much even on points per drive, no matter how long the drive is. It's 2.17. If it's a long drive, it's 1.98. If it's a medium drive and it's 2.5, if it's a short drive. But the funny thing is you bring up the term bend and not break. Really what it is, is bend, but don't let anyone score quickly. Bend for the medium 60 and then let them score field goals if you can. Right, but it's also bend and make them have to drive the whole length of the field. Just don't give up a quick, big score. 
they're and not, that's, th- but they're, that's but what they've done. They too. are forcing a lot of field goals. Like they are, yeah. they're doing, I think they're doing their, their job pretty well. I don't think it's perfectly done. There are a lot of better bend, but don't break type defenses. Um, but you can actually see a plan being executed. Um, and the, the finer details of it, I think um, a lot of it comes down to, you know, you're, you were talking about like, you know, well, what's McGovern doing? And I think a lot of what McGovern is doing is to, <laughs> to Chip Kelly's point, having Leatu Latu, uh, but also having Mo Osling. Yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah. Having Mo Osling, having uh, Stefan Blaylock playing at a better level than he's ever played. Um, those two guys tackling on the back end, it it helps to make a bend but don't break defense work um, when you have uh, experienced good safety play. I'd say Osling's, and uh, not to go back to the Mo Osling show, but I'd say he's playing better than Quentin Lake was last year. Um, Quentin Lake got drafted. So, yeah, um, I agree. I, I, I think uh, they're getting really quality play from safety, um, and that is uh, helping a lot with but, uh, but the complexion Dave, how about, defense. how about, and I wrote a story, I think you're going to um, publish it today. Maybe. We'll see. About um, how UCLA's become kind of a little media darling this week. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, honestly, we need to pump the brakes just a little. It, it seems like with UCLA sports, underappreciated a lot when they're not mentioned, and then overappreciated when they're good. No, no and this is the thing where people are always complaining about uh, media bias, and there is like an East Coast general bias, but people are very eager, especially Fox analysts. Uh, there's a reason for this, but like people there's are always, a reason for this. People are always ve- very eager to talk up the LA schools if either of them are even showing the barest signs of being good. That's it exactly. If they're if they haven't done anything recently, have anything on paper, UCLA is non-existent. Does is irrelevant. If they are a little start to make a little noise then everyone talks them up y'all gotta admit man this week <laughs> joel clapp I, I mean he's got to be friends with chip right is he a barbecue well, that, that's like he goes over his house for barbecues because a lot of these guys are so clatt is uh coward is um uh the rest of them though i think are, you know it's just generally and his ESPN buddies. Yeah, he's got ESPN buddies. I mean, Jeff Schwartz, the other guy you got in here, I'll publish this later, but he he uh, he was an Oregon offensive lineman. I can't remember if he overlapped with Chip or if he was just... Stuart know. Mandel's on the on the bandwagon, too. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it's... it's uh, I think there's always this eagerness to um, talk up UCLA when UCLA is actually showing signs of being good um, and then just, dave wait one more kirk curb street he's always on the bruin bandwagon well he's always been be even even going back to mora he always yep. was um, yep, yep. he had him ranked he had him college football playoff winning well, the championship i think he said it well that's the other thing is you get a lot of these like 50 plus guys um speaking of tracy Thanks, who dude. who remember back before the year when i was a month and a half old and remember when ucla was pretty consistently good um, and so they're like, oh, yeah, UCLA's back. That's cool. We like when college football is, you know, having UCLA in it. Um, and so I think there's a, a general eagerness to, like, you know, talk them up. And this happened all the time during the Mora years, too, if you remember everyone out there. Um, I, I think it was like two or three straight years where they were the dark horse pick to make the playoff before the season started. Um, and then Brett Hundley was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Yeah. Brett Hundley was getting, like, the early Heisman, like, 
real love before the 2014 season. Um, yeah, there's just uh, it's 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 so much more fun to cover this stuff when seemingly other people around the world care about it too. Yeah, it, it's just and it's fun though to see them go. Gonzo, I mean, shouldn't we be the homers? <laughs> Well, we this should. is the thing is like we Bruin is in our title. <laughs> yeah. And it's well, like a lot of it is just dive bombing because they haven't been paying attention for very long. And they're like, oh, you see like six and oh, damn. Oh, and that offense. Good God. Um, and I think like obviously they've outplayed. I mean, I'll, I'll just speak for me. They've outplayed my expectations so far this year. Absolutely. Um, but looking at it. All they've really done different from our season prediction from like a wins and losses standpoint is they've won one game. That they that we predicted them to lose. Yep. Um, they're six and zero, oh, not five and one. Um, they could if hold they lose serve, to Oregon. They'll, they'll be at my prediction. Yeah, they could yeah. hold serve the rest of the way. I um, think. No, I think you had them losing to Oregon too. No, I had them beating Oregon. Did you really? I think so. Good God. Oh yeah, yeah you had them losing to ASU. ASU. Yeah. <laughs> if Which that you happened, said. <laughs> yeah. You're scared of. But, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, but like, I mean, if you listen to Joel Klatt, and I love listening to those things. Those things are so good. I just love the way he talks, too. Because he's got, because, you know, I've got that radio background. I had a write for radio back in the day. And he, while, even though he is being filmed, he talks like he's on radio. Like, he hits things very hard, lets it sit there for a while, re-hits it again. <laughs> so, it kind of, it must, it must click on some deeper level in my brain. But anyway, so I like listening to him. But then when you start to listen, you start saying, I, st I start to think, okay, you've watched a lot of USC, so you can see USC's uh, deficiencies. I don't know if you've necessarily watched a lot of UCLA, though. So, because he's talking about some of the things that USC could be really exploited on while he says UCLA doesn't have any weaknesses, pretty much. So, yeah, I think, but it's just fun. It's fun to listen to. This them, is right? where the the stats kind of um, the stats yeah. defensively kind of tell some lies a yep. little bit. Yep, yep. Um, but here's the thing: um, they just they just blew out Utah. I know it was a it finishes a ten point game. Should have been twenty four. I don't um, know if it's a blowout. They dominated them. Blowout means you would have won by thirty something points, but you never thought UCLA wasn't the dominant team in this in that game. Well, fine. That's fine. Um Washington Washington same deal was also a near blowout. It was 40 to 16 at one point. Yes. I guess at some point like the reality is that nobody in the Pac-12 has a defense that can stop the UCLA offense that we saw um on last Saturday. Nobody does. Um if you look at the league the top defense right now is Washington State's, um, and they're – I don't know how much Wazoo you've watched, but they're merely fine. Like, I, I wouldn't describe them as dominant. I wouldn't describe them as having any key calling card. They're just a pretty sound defense, um, but nothing special about them. Uh, everyone else is a cut below that. Um, Utah, which we just watched, is probably one of the top three or four defenses in the league. Um Nobody has a defense that can stop this uh, team. And that makes me kind of, well, whether we're right or wrong on the nuances of this team being semi-flawed in certain ways, when's it going to come out? 
Like, when is it actually going to be obvious and apparent? Because there's no defense in this league that should really stop this team. It's only whether or not they stop themselves. That scares me when you say a big sweeping. I I, I agree with you, but that's kind of scary to me because there could be a defense that somehow... Because even though you you see the units and you watch, it really does come down... I know, you like the word unit. I just see Um, them. when you when it comes to a game, it really does come down to the game planning, the scheme, and what you're doing literally in that matchup. So this is why worse teams beat better teams because a lot of times they they have schemed better for that game. They're doing something that let's say the UCLA offense just hasn't compensated for in their game plan, um, and you would think. There's a couple of things. Uh, it looked like to me, and I think our friend Chris uh, Osgood bears this out. The offenses looked better against Washington and Oregon. And I think a lot of it was because Chip Kelly had had opened up the playbook, opened up some wrinkles, done some things that he didn't do in the first four games. Um, how much more playbook is there, in, is there to open? Wouldn't you have thought that he pretty much did what he had to do to beat Utah. Like, he's not holding anything back. But there's specifics on when you're game planning for a certain team. Will Oregon's specific game planning, will they shut, while UCLA's offense might be better than Oregon's defense, in that game, on that specific day, might be raining. There's. It's hard to make that general, that, that general statement that there isn't any defense that can stop UCLA's offense. That's what I'm that's what's kind of scaring me. Um because it all comes down to that specific day and that game and that matchup and that scheme and that play calling. Well yeah. Sure. Fine. I'm saying qualitatively there's nobody who really um from a statistical standpoint USC is probably the like best rated defense left on the schedule. And which which doesn't really match up with what you see eyeball. No. Good God, no. So hard to go by stats. <clears throat> well, yeah. To I mean, to the same extent that it's hard to go by UCLA stats. I yes. guess my, 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 my well, I, I guess part of my point is the Pac-12 is um, very, well, it's, it's a lot better than it was last year. It's still not very good. Um, and there aren't these teams in the league, like not even Georgia, but there's no Michigan. There's no even Minnesota. Like it's just, uh, there's no Alabama, obviously. Last year there was Utah. Utah was very good. Utah Utah was very good on both sides of the ball. They were very, very good. Um, UCLA's, I guess my point is UCLA's flaws need not be exposed during the Pac-12 season. They may be. But there isn't like a necessary condition that they will be, because if you look again at all I'm of the scared. different teams, there's just the and you feel free to be because um, as you said, there could be matchup specific things, there could be um, you know game plan specific wrinkles and all of that, but there isn't an obvious one where you circle it and say, oh yeah, that's it, that's where they're going to be exposed. Um, the remainder of the schedule, like Oregon from a from a um, Eye test standpoint, um, they're pretty good. But I would have said the same thing about Utah coming into that game. Um, 
like I, I think I feel the same way about Oregon that I did about Utah coming into that game. It's just that it's in Autzen, so I haven't even decided what I'm going to pick in that one. Um, but USC, kind of similar to Oregon and Utah in that it's a really good offense um, and a defense that's got some major question marks. Um, that's what makes the rest of this year pretty it's exciting. Be fun. It's going to be fun. Any one of these teams could beat any one of these teams. Yeah. On any given, I I mean, what's well, you, the line? And Utah's Utah's going to beat USC by three touchdowns tomorrow. Isn't I didn't I didn't get into it. I saw someone on the forum said, and I and just thinking about this, saying that all UCLA fans want USC to win that game, correct? When it comes to the Pac-12 race, but yeah, there's no way. There's just no way. Can't do that. No, you want Utah to win. Yeah. Okay. So you wait, I want Utah from a Pac-12 race standpoint because if USC wins, then UCLA beats SC. Wouldn't that be? You're the one who does all this stuff. You tell me. You mean for playoff purposes? Uh, let's just say for Pac-12 race first. Well, for Pac-12 race, um, you you want uh, accumulating losses for everybody. Right. Um, so Utah already has taken a loss, and UCLA has the tiebreaker against them. So give USC a loss now too. Um, and then USC still has, let's see. I guess his theory was that a, it would pretty much eliminate Utah. You don't need to eliminate Utah, though, because you have the tiebreaker over. Okay. Uh, USC still has, uh, at Arizona, they've got UCLA. So USC, reasonably speaking, only has two more losses left on the schedule, so you'd like them to take one against Utah. So you're telling me on top of always wanting USC to lose, I absolutely should be rooting for USC to lose. I think so. I, I doesn't really matter I, I because I'm doing have, it anyway. Yeah, I think they're getting they're getting smoked off the field. Did you see the helmets they're gonna wear? Who? Utah. I did not. They're honoring the two guys who got shot. The oh, wow. each number twenty two who got shot on all of their helmets. They're gonna oh, wow. they're gonna win by like I don't know, seventy five, something like that. What's the line, Dave? Uh, it's Utah minus three, I think. Um, are, are you are you not that I'm advocating gambling? But no, you, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm banging Utah hard. Um, <laughs> so you throw in some. I mean, you have a bookie. Throw in some for me, and I'll pay back. Well, I won't have to pay back. You'll just be paying me. Yeah, there you go. Um, and then uh, yeah, Utah still got some other losses on the schedule too, so you don't need to really worry about them. They have to okay. go at Wazoo. They have to go at Oregon. Um, they're losing one of those. I'm not sure which one, but they're losing okay. one of them. Hey, one thing I did want to talk about. I think we're kind of, we've done football, and I think we've done it really well. I'm very happy inside. Kind of a little glow. Um, I wrote the thing about Big Ten expansion that I was hearing that Oregon and Washington are looking like they're going to be asked to join the Big Ten. Um We've heard it from we've heard it from Rick Neuheisel. I, I heard it uh, from someone a couple of months back. Heard it from a couple other people I trust. Heard it from someone earlier this week, uh, who's a good source. So I finally did it because I, I kind of am sometimes don't want to do it when it comes to discussing other teams because I get a lot of blowback, as I did, and all I wrote, Arizona fans, was it's still uncertain what the fate of Arizona. I didn't say anything else, but. I didn't see, but some people told me uh, I've lost some credibility on the Arizona site. <laughs> Whatever will you do, Tracy? <laughs> um, but I, 
I want everyone to like me, Dave. I mean, it's just how I am. So, I mean, uh, that's literally, I'm just going to reiterate this. That I'm hearing about Washington and Oregon. Heard a little bit about Stanford and a lot of different stuff, but a lot of it lately was they might hold out and be independent. Um, and then I really haven't heard anything much. Oh, I'm sorry. I heard Utah and Arizona State probably likely, if they're going to do something, the likelihood is the Big 12. I haven't heard anything else about anyone else. That's all I, that's all I was trying to say. I probably just said it wrong. But So Arizona fans, don't know. Maybe Big 12 makes sense to me, right? Basketball conference. Um, so, yeah, there you go. Sorry, they're wildcat people. Yeah, uh, I'm sure they're listening. So <laughs> I, This will get back to their forum, though, and then I'll get ridiculed anyway. Um, but very interesting. Like I said in that post, the Pac-12 might not be long for this world very soon. This could shake out. I mean, if Oregon and Washington make a deal for the for the Big Ten, does the Pac-12 have any any viability after that? No, it yeah, they're done. It can't lose any more people. And George K. Yeah, He's Georgie kind of, baby, Georgie baby. So does George? What's his contract? Will they have to honor his contract? Is there something in his contract if the if the conference goes defunct? He's the contract is null. And well, boy, I mean, if it's if your if your business goes away, do you have to continue to pay out salaries to people? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't know. Interesting to know about conferences and things. Yeah. Okay, so we've been con- cajoled to talk a lot about basketball, which is so interesting because so, uh, so somebody posted on the basketball board. Uh, can you guys do just a basketball only podcast this week? And I'm like, look, I'm I'm usually game for that, right? Uh, Almost last, most over, of the time. Over the yeah. last four years, pretty game for that. Um, last three at least. Uh, what the hell, guys? They're six and zero. The football team is six and zero. So yeah, no, no, we're not doing a full basketball show. However, uh, the basketball team is uh, now less than a month away from. The basketball season. Um, got our first uh, availability with Mick Cronin last week. That was fun. Really fun. Um, we talked about that last week, but um, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's good. We we like basketball. Um, feeling pretty good about the start of the season. Um, there just isn't that much to talk about right now because we haven't seen the team in practice. Uh, just so you know, I mean the. Media is not allowed in or to report on it. So, rather than that, other than that, fifteen twenty minutes that we get when we have media availability, we've had one. We didn't have any this week. I would I would suspect we'll have one next week. Right. So it's uh, it's it's not exactly doldrums. Obviously, they're getting ready for the season. It's just there's not a whole lot to say at this point. Right. So, um, we're excited. Very much so. Um, and, and, and honestly, I guess you can't talk enough about Jaime Jaquez or Tiger Campbell, but we've talked a lot about those guys. We know those guys. Really, the story now is all the newcomers and how good are they in, in aspects of their game. 
I mean, I can go on when they were when they were high school prospects in an AU games, but I haven't, you know, I watched 15 minutes and I wrote my little quick impressions that, yeah, Dembona looks a little bit taller and he, he runs like a superhuman. Right. Um, but that's about it. That's, I mean, until we really get to see them. Um, and what is that? Concordia? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, at the end of this month, I believe. So, yeah. Uh, we're sorry. We would like to report a lot more. We just don't have that much to talk about. It would be just regurgitating everything we've done before. And we're not opposed to that. We've done we're it not, many times. We regurgitate we, with the best of them. Yeah, I I consider it one of my best talents. Um, I've seen it. Yeah, you have. It's um, it's voluminous. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's exactly what you just said. Um, so we're obviously going to have a lot more uh, basketball talk probably next week and probably um, going to pick up considerably after that. We uh, promise. And I have to uh, I have to start thinking about my season preview. Ooh. Yeah. That That's always fun. Beautiful thing. I promise we'll have more to talk about basketball next week. Promise. Absolutely. Ab. Yeah. So, I mean everyone's Okay, should we talk uh Ege Demir? Ege. Every last week we didn't mention that recruitment and everyone got a little mad. It is one where person. It is. One, right, person, one person. Crazy. Okay, sorry. We value each and every subscriber that day. Yes. Um, it's it's same. Nothing's changed from the last thing that I posted. Is that it? It's looking like there could still be a possibility that he that he is admitted by. Uh, well, it would be winter quarter, but it's really. The end of fall quarter, so mid-December. Uh, there are some things, and I, I'm not at liberty to talk specifically about what they are, that he has to do to get him qualified to be admitted. And so far, that hasn't happened yet. So that's about it. Um, if they do add him, I mean, that's that's pretty significant. Uh, they'd have a really deep front line. I do believe he's from. I've only been able to watch his tape. I haven't. I haven't flown to Turkey. So, have you not? Well, I, I have before in my life, just not to go see him. Oh. Um. So I think, uh, but watching on tape, evaluating from tape is that he would be able to contribute, uh, this season. Now coming in so late, uh, what would from a from a talent, physical tools, uh, talent, skill wise, yes. Coming in uh, cold in December and starting to practice, how much he would be able to contribute knowing what this team is doing in Mick Cronin's uh, program in a scheme and offensively and defensively, that would that would probably be a huge learning curve. As, as Mick said, when he's you know he watches some of the young guys and they are just overwhelmed when they're first. You know, not only all the information, but they've never practiced this hard, too. So, there's a lot. Um, but very excited. Take away from our podcast here. Very excited. Very I mean, excited. we should... Don't you think there will probably be a couple of teams that lose and UCLA might edge into the top 10? This, this week? This week? Yeah, dude. So, all right. Just, uh, I'm going to... I'm trying to write my viewing guide. That thing is a labor of... I don't know if I'd call love, it love, but it's love definitely game. a labor. Comes from deep down in your love uh, organ. Yeah, but uh, here's the game. Here are the games this weekend. 
Uh, Penn State at Michigan. So that's two top 10 teams. Now, if Penn State loses that one, that's probably that's probably UCLA's spot right there. Think so? Uh, Ole Miss takes on Auburn. Ole Miss is a 15-point favorite, but Auburn's always got talent. Um, Alabama, Tennessee. So I think you probably, if you want to just see a top 10 next week, uh, you probably want Alabama to win that and blow them out because um, that might drop Tennessee below. Have to be a blowout, don't you think? If they play them pretty competitively, they'll, they'll, they'll hold. Yeah. They? yeah. The one the one that's uh, tricky, and I think it's a, it's a zero-sum game, is TCU-Oklahoma State. TCU's 13, Oklahoma State's 8. You could totally see if TCU wins that, uh, they just flip them. Dude, uh, you're missing the most obvious one. Hit me with the most obvious. Clemson, Florida State? How about USC? Oh, yeah, duh. Uh, yeah, no. USC. You've already said it's a blowout, so they're taking that spot. They're moving up to UCLA ten, number nine. Or nine. Ten they're going to be number nine next week. Okay, so where this was going, UCLA would be ranked top 10 in basketball. So we can say UCLA right now has two top 10 teams in their basketball and football program. Yeah, that's right. Whoa. I mean, this is exciting times. Really fun. Fun to be a Bruin fan right now. Uh, as Jerry Newhouse would say, it's a great day to be alive, <laughs> be a Bruin. Gotta love Jerry. He's stealing a lot of stuff from his dad. I want to I hear... Wouldn't you, though? Hear, yeah, I mean, phew, if you could steal just... Uh, Rick Neuheisel, D-minus coach, but A-plus quotable. Have we ever heard Jerry say, appreciate you? I, we, yes, yes, we have heard him say that. Okay. It's incredible. Did he know he was he was spoofing his dad, or did he just do yeah, it that was the whole, because that was it's part the whole of his idea. DNA? No, that was the whole idea. Oh, okay. Yeah. He did, like, a parody video for uh, uh, Fall Camp Skits or something one year. Okay, next time we interview him, just get him to say, appreciate you. As he walks up, just ask him if he can do the entire interview um, doing an impression of his dad. Why? It wouldn't be that hard. I mean, he could just be himself pretty yeah, much, right? It's just it's just adding a few more, like... Um, like idioms does jerry play the guitar i'm sure he does i've never seen him play i'm so. certain he does okay off-season goals get jerry to play the guitar on bro on video that'd be great that'd be great that'd go on his head coaching resume in five years yeah exactly for the, job, for the ucla job i mean okay all right well that's it for us uh action pack show we laughed we cried we cried and laughed we cry laughed uh, we, we cry a lot. We're crying right now. I, I cry throughout this entire show. Every That's how bad week. it is. Yes. <laughs> For Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, Bruno Port Online, and we will talk to you again next time. Enjoy the bye week. Be, be happy. This is fun. On May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus.